Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 1. That's where we'll take our text from this morning. The Bible says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. That's all I'm going to read right now. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day, for an opportunity to speak your word. What an awesome worship service we had. Thank you for our band. Thank you for those who worship in song. God, I do pray, God, you'll speak through me this morning. God, there's nothing I can say to help anybody. Not a single word. God, but you can do amazing things through a willing vessel, and that's what I want to be. God, I pray you'll speak to your people this morning. Lord, give us an open heart, an open mind. God, to hear just who it is you want us to be, a follower of you. God, we love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. The title of my message this morning would be, Who Are You Imitating? Who Are You Imitating? And uh, well, don't think about it too hard. There's only two possible answers that you can choose from. There's an A and a B. There's God, Jesus Christ, and then there's Satan. We're imitating one of those two people in everything we do. Now, sure, we, we may imitate other people in our actions, we may imitate people that we're around sometimes. You do that. I do too. Hang around somebody long enough and you'll start acting like them in one way or the other. For example, Dale Prather has the most annoying sneeze in the history of the world. And his uncle JB is not too far behind him. And I tend to hang around those two from time to time, either at church or at a buffet somewhere, and from time to time, they'll sneeze, and it's annoying. Problem is, is now my sneeze has become annoying to my family. And if I sneeze, a Dale sneeze, I don't get a bless you. I get, all right, Dale. That's what I get when that happens. We act like people we hang around sometimes. If you hang around people, you'll pick up on different sayings and different things they do, maybe likes, the clothes they wear, or the music they like, or, or, or whatever the case may be. Um, you just have to be careful who you're imitating in life, and you're only imitating one of two people, Jesus or Satan. And it's easy to understand that we can imitate Satan because we're all real good at it. But it's mind-boggling to me to think that we can imitate God. That we can imitate Jesus Christ as sinful as we are and as messed up as we are. Uh, that we uh, can imitate a sinless God. How is that even possible? Can I remind you this morning that God's calling is his enabling. God don't... Uh, call the equipped, he equips the call. We've heard that before. And if God's called us to imitate him as he has in our text this morning, in chapter 5, verse 1, then that tells me that we can do it. What God calls us to do, he will enable us to carry it out. Whatever that it is, if I'm left to it on my own, it will become a mess, I promise you. I've proven that time and time again in my life when I try to do things on my own and I see it's in a mess. I need God to help me every day in every single situation. 
The problem is when I'm faced with that situation, sometimes I try to just fix it on my own anyway. Stubborn. It's an amazing thought that we can be imitators of God, even as sinful as we are. And uh, I want to take a look at Paul's thoughts to the church at Ephesus here for a few minutes. Ephesians, my Sunday school class, by the way, if you need a Sunday school class, the rock Sunday school class is the place to be, not Cornerstone. Just saying. Your wife had to boo for you to boo. That's sad. I'm just playing. <laughs> oh, that was Valerie? Valerie? I can see Natalie booing me. I didn't think you would. Man, Book of Ephesians, Rock Sunday School class, just saying. The Book of Ephesians can be broken down into two different parts. Two different parts we can break this book down into. The first three chapters of the Book of Ephesians here Paul is telling the church here what God has done for them. He's telling them how God chose them, how God called them, how God has redeemed them, how God has made them to sit in heavenly places. We read all that in the first three chapters of Ephesians here. And in the second half, chapters four through six, Paul, he spends some time telling the church at Ephesus what they need to do for God, how they need to conduct themselves for God. Paul, in all of his letters, if you go study his letters, he always begins by telling the recipients of that letter what God has done for you, how God has helped you, how God has served you, and then he always ties it back around to what we need to be doing for God. Paul was brilliant in his writing because if I pump you up about how good God's been to you and then I ask you to come do something for God, it will help you respond with a heart of gratitude rather than a heart of duty. I want you to remember this morning, God wants you responding to him in gratitude, not commandment, not duty, not I have to. That's not where God wants us to be. In the very first verse here, tells us that we should be followers of God as dear children, chapter 5. That word follower is translated from this Greek word that means imitator. So I ask, who are you imitating? Now I want you to also look at the word dear in verse 1 there. That word dear is translated from the word beloved. And that beloved is referring to God's love. It's not referring to puppy love. It's not referring to husband and wife love. It's referring to agape love. It's referring to a love that only God can have for us. First of all, this morning, do you know that you're loved? I just want to ask you, do you know that you're loved? Because uh, there's some of us, me included, and there's some of you that have woke up and said, I don't think nobody loves me. I'm, I'm on an island. I'm all by myself. Can I tell you this morning that you are loved in all your mess, in everything you uh, messed up this week, in every mistake you made, in every stupid thing you said, in everything that come out of you that shouldn't have, God still loves you unconditionally. God's love is not going to change based on what you do. As sinful as we are, here in this verse here, God calls you and me, a bunch of messed up people, he calls us to be imitators of him as his loved children. 1 John chapter 3 tells us what manner of love has the Father bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Me? 
No, I know me better than anybody. Romans 5, 8 says, God commended his love toward us and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for you. He didn't wait on you to get good. He didn't wait on you to fix it. Uh, he got you right in your mess and he loves you even in your mess. Question of the day is this. We're told here to follow God, to imitate God. We're told to mimic him in our patterns and our behaviors right here in this, ver in this first verse. How is it that we can do that? You might ask, and I, and I might ask. Well, Paul in chapter 4, he just told all the people of Ephesus here that there's some things in your old life that you need to get rid of. Some things you need to put aside. Some things you need to uh, lay aside in order to understand how you can imitate God. So before we can see how we need to imitate God, we probably need to see what we need to get rid of in the first place. We probably need to figure that out. Look at the third word in our text this morning. Be ye therefore. Therefore, I'm not an English teacher, trust me. But therefore, I studied and I found out it is a conjunctive adverb. Therefore is a conjunctive adverb. And a conjunctive adverb, it connects two independent thoughts. It takes this independent thought and after the word therefore, it connects it to a new thought. It joins together. It coordinates. Paul just got done in chapter 4 telling them these things they should put away. And it connects us to this verse 1 of chapter 5. So let's get the context. Let's go back to chapter 4. And let's see what the Bible says in verse 17 through 24. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that... Ye henceforth walk, not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, but being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness, to work all uncleanness with greediness, but ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, where conversation means conduct, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which, is, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Paul's telling the church at Ephesus here, there's some things they must put off and some things that they must put on. Some things uh, need to be put off from our old life. It's kind of like dirty clothes, right? We go and we work all day and we, we get dirty and we get home and we put them off and we put on something new or something clean, hopefully after a shower. I come in so dirty sometimes from doing whatever little work I'm doing and Amber's like, yeah, don't touch me, air hug, you know. Go, go, go take a shower. We take off the dirty clothes, we take a shower, and we put on some new clean clothes in their place. This is a practical picture of salvation. God accepts us dirty as we are. He washes us in the blood, and he cleans us up, and he puts us in new clothes. It says, the Bible says we're clothed in his righteousness, clothed in his ways. Uh, the problem for most of us is this, though. We get dirty... And we get clean and we put the same dirty clothes back on. 
Think about how silly that is in the physical world. But we do that in the spiritual world. Maybe not immediately, maybe not uh, a couple days later, maybe it's 20 years later, uh, we find ourselves back in the same dirty clothes that God took off of us. So let's take a look at some things Paul tells us we need to get rid of if we're going to be imitators of God. Brian said something to me a while back. We were riding down the road. He said, you know, Jason, the gospel is simple. It is so simple. He said, we're the ones who complicate it. Man, that stuck with me. The gospel is so simple. Jesus Christ, the message of him is so simple. It's Christians who complicate it. We try to twist it and spin it and fix it the way we want it to be. It's simple. So I'm going to be simple this morning, and we're just going to read the Word of God. And we're going to see some of these things we need to put off, starting in verse 25 of chapter 4. Remember, we backed up a little bit. Verse 25 of chapter 4 says, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. It says we need to put away lying. Can I remind you, the Bible says Satan is the father of all lies. He is the father of all, all lies. And here's the thing. When we lie, we're not imitating God. We're imitating Satan. We're acting like Satan. We're not acting like God. We're acting like Satan when we choose to lie. Half-truths, just kiddings. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. All of that is a lie. All of that is a lie. It's plain out lying and we're imitating Satan. Some of you walked up in here this morning lying because one of these greeters said, hey, how you doing? You said, oh, I'm great. Knowing you're a mess, if they ask you one more question, you're just going to bust out in tears. Been there. Done that. We put on this front. We cover up the fact that we hadn't been in the presence of God lately. We sing, we smile, we look pretty, uh, but on the inside, we're a mess. We don't want people to see what's going on behind us. We don't want people to see what's going on inside of us. The verse is clear. It says we need to speak truth to one another. We're members one of another. There's no shame in me saying, Javi, I've had a terrible week, man. It's been terrible. Will you pray for me? Will you help me? I know, I'm the world's worst. I don't do that. But the Bible says we should speak truth. We should speak truth to each other and quit lying. On the other hand, if you ask somebody how they're doing and you have no idea or no clue of actually wanting to know how they're doing, then don't ask them. Guilty. Man, I, me and Dale, we're running around here, all, a lot of us running around doing stuff in the morning, getting ready, and I'll walk by, hey, man, how you doing? I don't even give you time to answer. I keep walking. I don't care how you're doing, right? I'm just telling the truth. If we cared, we would stop and look them in the eyes and say, how are you doing, Randy? Is everything okay, Randy? We would take the time to ask. Because if you really want to know how somebody's doing, then ask them. We need to quit lying. 
And you may be lying in some other way. That's just the one God hit me with. Second thing Paul says here, we need to put away, verse 26, be ye angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Anger is an internal emotion. Listen to me. Anger is an internal emotion that becomes wrath when it shows up on the outside. Anger is an internal emotion. It's something that you feel inside. It's when it comes out that it becomes wrath. That's when your anger turns into something it should be. Anger's okay when you experience it on the inside. The Bible says, be angry. Jesus was angry. Disciples got angry. I get angry. But it's when that clock starts ticking and that anger shows up. And the Bible's clear. You don't need to go to bed with that anger. You take that literally or figuratively, however you want to, uh, but you don't need to let that anger settle in your spirit. We need to deal with it, process it, and let it go. We need to get rid of it. Because when, when you do, when you let that anger settle in your spirit and you let the sun go down on your wrath, verse 27 comes true and you're neither giving place to the devil. You're giving place to Satan when you allow anger, when I allow anger to settle down inside of me. And you're giving Satan a seat at your anger party. You're just letting him sit down. You're making room for him. You ever invited somebody over to the house? Right? Like, I invite Vince over to the house and Vince shows up with Terry and Alex and like 30 other people. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? I got eight hot dogs here. What are you doing? Right? Here's the thing. When you invite Satan to sit down at your anger party, he's bringing a friend. Now, Satan's going to bring a friend uh, and his friend's name is Bitterness. And he brings this friend bitterness, and when we let that anger uh, fester inside of us, bitterness sets in. You become an accuser of your spouse. You become a slanderer of your coworker. Uh, you become a, a demolitionist of your children. When we allow anger just to settle inside of us, we take it out on those we love the most. How many times have we falsely accused how many times have we slandered our spouse to somebody else? Man, nothing just makes me sick than to hear a man talk bad about his wife to somebody else. Makes me sick to hear a woman talk bad about her husband. Shame on us for ever doing anything like that. How many times have you ever went into a situation intentionally wanting to be a wrecking ball? Like, I'm coming up in here, they're going to know I was here. I'm going to let them know. I'm the only one. I've done it. Like when I leave here, they're going to know I was here. They're going to hear about this. When we don't deal with our anger, Satan will turn you into who he is. When we let that anger fester, I've seen it in those people I love. I've experienced it with inside my own self. Deal with it and let it go. We got to put off the anger. We got to put off the lying. We're halfway there. Y'all stay with me. Verse 28, third thing here. 
Paul says, you got to get rid of this if you want to imitate God. He said, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. I'm going to say this, and I'm going to move on to another point about stealing. But if you're sitting at home and you're collecting money from the government and you're able to go work, you're stealing. You're a thief. I don't care if there is a stimulus package. You're a thief if you're able to get up and work and you choose not to. There's several ways uh, that we can, we can steal. We need to get rid of stealing in our lives. You're like, whoo, finally. He got me on that line. He got me on that anger, but I ain't got to worry about this. I ain't no thief. I am. What they call him? A kleptomaniac, right? I'm a thief. I didn't realize it till I studied this. You ever take credit for something somebody else does? You're the boss on your job and all your workers have worked real hard to accomplish some goal and the big boss comes in and you're like, yep, look what I did, boss. You ever taking credit for something? Saul did that over in Samuel. He did that to Jonathan, his own son. He took his own victory from him. We steal in that way. Can I tell you something else? We also steal when we don't tithe to the Lord. We steal when we don't tithe to the Lord. Malachi 3 talks about this. Many people say, well, I just don't give. Y'all are quiet. Let me go show you. Malachi 3. Miss Frieda, you ain't got it, but if you want to find it. Malachi 3 verse 8 says, Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me, but ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings, you are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven, and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Listen, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the, in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed, for ye shall uh, be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. Uh, we, we are robbing God when we choose not to tithe. We are stealing. We are, this is where most pastors or preachers apologize, but I'm not going to apologize, okay? Y'all ain't got to see me next week. I'm not going to apologize. You're stealing from God. And if you steal from God, who can plead your case? You can steal from me. And I can find out about it and take you to court and you can hire this fancy pants lawyer to plead your case. But if you steal for God, who's going to stand with you? Who's going to stand with you in that situation? Here's the truth. I studied this. In America, only 20% of members of the church tithe. In America, 20% tithe. That leaves... 80% who are just along for the ride. It's cold in here. The lights just ain't bright enough. Why are the lights so bright? We need to paint that door. Who picked that floor out there in the foyer anyway? And those are the people who ain't giving a dime to the church, who ain't doing anything for the church. 
Church has become like a football field. There's 22 men out there working, uh, doing everything, and 80,000 people in the stands sitting there cheering when things are good and griping when things are bad, talking about how they could do it better. It's a shame the situation the church is in when it comes to that. We still, when we don't give what already belongs to God, God provides for every church by the people who call that their church. God provides for those people. Hey, God ain't broke. God ain't fixing to file bankruptcy somewhere. But churches all over America are suffering in more than financial ways because people won't follow a simple commandment to tithe. It don't cause a church just to suffer uh, financially. It causes a church to suffer in so many different ways. We want to be imitators of God. Anybody? I want to be an imitator of God. Hey, we want to be imitators of God. If that's who we want to be, we are most like God when we give and when we forgive. That's the best way to be like God, to give and to forgive. For God so loved the world that he gave. That he gave. God is a giving God. Uh, look at all that God's done for you in your life. Look at your family, your health. Look at your bank account, your job. Look at all these things he's given you. Look at everything he's forgiven you for. Man. Look at all the things God's forgiven me for. Look at all these things, all these terrible things that I've done, and here I am holding a grudge against somebody who done some little something to me. Shame on me. Shame on you if that's where we are. Dear child of God is what we're called in our text verse. We should be the most giving and the most forgiving people on the face of this planet. We should be that person. And half of us won't even tip the waitress because our french fries are cold and our coat tastes funny and we had to wait 10 minutes to get a table for our $50 steak. That's how selfish we find ourselves being. Poor thing had to wait 10 minutes. We're a bunch of spoiled, greedy, thankless, selfish Americans. Number one right here. That's where we are. We need to put away lying. We need to get rid of our anger. We need to put away stealing. And the fourth thing here, verse 29, it talks about that potty mouth of yours and that potty mouth of mine. It says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And I'm not just talking about four-letter adjectives, although profanity or using God's name in vain in your own little way, it, man, it's disgusting to think the way I used to talk. How ignorant did I sound? How ignorant do we sound when we do that? It makes me want to just vomit. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. And if you ask any child in Awana where God lives, he lives in my heart. He lives right here. The Bible says out of the abundance of what's in here, it's going to come out right here. That's where it's going to come out at. We can't sit here and sing, I got the joy, 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 joy down in, not you, joy, the joy down in my heart. You can't sit here and sing that and sit there and talk any kind of way. And I can't believe she wore that to church today. Shame on her. And who's he think he is always over there talking to all these people and uh, just chest poked out? If, we, if that's who we are, shame on us. There's no joy down in our heart. 
There's no, there's no, uh, 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 nothing of God coming from that. Let me ask you something, man. Uh, uh, do you speak, uh, when you speak to your wife, does she get the grace of God or the wrath of God in the way you talk to her? Wives, when you speak to your husband, does he get the grace of God or does he get you just hitting him and hammering him for every little single thing he does you think's wrong? When you talk to your children, do they feel love when they walk away from you or are they scared to death? Here's the thing that I've learned uh, from my own experience. Most of us, when we mess up really, 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 really bad, we sure are thankful for grace when it comes along. Aren't you? Think about the worst thing you've ever did in your life to somebody. And that person come up and said, hey, I forgive you. And they truly forgave you. And you, you, know, you reconciled whatever was wrong. Man, you feel so relieved. It's such a good feeling. But then two weeks later, somebody does a little something to you and you holding a grudge over them for 10 years. We're good at receiving grace. Uh, we're terrible at giving grace. But if we want to be like God, if we want to be an imitator of God, uh, that's where we need to be. Uh, by the way, Titus, I think, is it Titus says, speak evil of no one. Speak evil of no one. In, in 2021, that includes your words out of your mouth and the things you type on Facebook. Can, can, speak evil of no one. Who is no one? No one. The school superintendent? Don't speak evil of him. I dare any of us to sit in his shoes one day and make a decision he has to make. Shame on us. We're real good at bashing somebody for making a decision, a decision that you would never even ponder making. Shame on me. Your, your boss? Speak evil of no one. Your ex? <laughs> Speak evil of no one. It's fixing to get even quieter than it is, but it ought, nobody includes the President of the United States. That's nobody. Speak evil of no one. And if you want to call the Vice President a whore on Facebook, and if you want to call Joe Biden the devil on Facebook, shame on you. Shame on me. Shame on us for speaking evil of anybody. We're letting corrupt communication come out of our mouth. For everything you blab about them or everything I blab about them, I promise you there's 10 more things they can say bad about me. I promise you, that's where we are. We're told to put away these things. We're told to, uh, not only, I love Paul because he says, uh, anytime Paul gets on to us for something, he comes back with something positive. They call it a positive sandwich at school. When they get on to the kids, they hit them with a positive and then they bring down the negative and they hit them with a positive again. Paul does that. Paul, he tells us how we're doing good, but here's where you need to straighten up and here's how to do it. Don't lie, speak truth to your neighbor. It's okay, be angry, but don't let it come out in wrath. Don't let it fester in your heart. But don't steal, give. Don't talk bad about people. Lift people up. He gives us ways here uh, that we can do that. And we're told here, when we choose those negative options, uh, verse 30 tells us, when we choose to react that way, verse 30 says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed until 
the day of redemption, when we tell those lies, when we, that anger spills out on everybody around us, when we steal whatever that looks like to you, when we talk in a way we shouldn't talk, we are grieving the Holy Spirit of God and there's no way we can imitate God if we're grieving the Holy Spirit. It's impossible. It's not, it's not something we're able to do. You look at verse 31. I'm going to be done here in just a second, Greg. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Second word there, let all, not some of it, all of it. He said all because there's some bitterness we feel like we deserve to have. Oh, you just don't know what happened to me. You don't have a clue what she did to me. I deserve to be bitter. You don't have a clue how he treated me. I deserve to be bitter. No, bitterness is the byproduct of letting the sun go down on your wrath. And, and, and when we harbor that anger in our hearts, uh, we end up feeling like we're justified in feeling like we do. But if the Bible says let all, I'm pretty sure he means let all. We need to let go of all lying, all wrath, all greed, all hurtful words. Breaking news. There are some mean Christians. <laughs> I have been one of them. There are some mean Christians. I'd be scared to death to say, raise your hand if I've ever been mean to you. All these guys would. <laughs> no, you wouldn't. But listen, there are some mean Christians. We can be mean people. And you know what? Most of us find ourselves being mean when we're holding that grudge when we're just harboring that bitterness and we just won't let go of it. We need to let go of that bitterness and quit making those we love and those uh, who love us suffer for the actions of somebody else. We're ruining every relationship because of this one thing we just won't let go of. He says let go of it. Let it, let it all go. Verse 32, and I'm done for real. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Be kind to one another. I like the shirts the, 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 some of the students wear. It just says, be kind. That's all it says. Be kind one to another. Quit being mean. We're some mean people. And instead of reflecting the joy of the Lord that we should be reflecting in our life, we're not reflecting anything but bitterness. People see you coming and they're like, oh, let's go. <laughs> we know what they're bringing. Be kind. Be tenderhearted. Uh, tenderhearted is the opposite of hardhearted. Some of us get hurt by somebody and whoo, we stick this wall up, right? Anybody but me. We stick this wall up and we put that wall there and it's there to protect us from being hurt again. But you know what that wall does? It makes us hard-hearted. It's the opposite of tender-hearted. Forgive one another. That's the next thing 32 says. This one verse here could be an entire sermon. So many of us, we've done some hard time in the prison of unforgiveness. We've done some hard time uh, in a sentence uh, in the prison of unforgiveness. Our, our human version of forgiveness is this. I forgive you, but I'm not going to forget it. 
That's our human version of forgiveness. I do forgive you, but I, I'm not going to I say, I'll forgive you, but as soon as you do something wrong to me again, I'm going to bring it back up. I'm going to remind you of what you did 10 years ago. Listen, God don't give us any room in this verse to make our own definition of forgiveness. He don't give us a single chance to do that. He says, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you, what does that look like? Forgiveness is treating somebody as if the offense never happened. <laughs> it's like it never happened. Forget about it. It never happened. It's not, uh, is this not how God has forgiven us? Hebrews 8 says uh, that he ain't going to remember it anymore. It's gone. He forgets my sin. He forgets your sin. Wow. How awesome is that? that he would do that. It's a prison of unforgiveness. Can I ask you a question this morning? How long of a sentence are you serving? Are you serving a, are you serving a, a, a 10 year sentence for being bitter? Somebody, are you serving a 15 year sentence for, for, for being unforgiving? Are you serving a 20 year sentence for just hating? Or it may be days or months, it don't matter. God wants to free you from that. God, God don't, you can't be who God wants you to be while you're in prison. Not in a prison you put yourself in. I can't be who God wants me to be, Paul, if I'm lying all the time. If I'm stealing. If I'm talking bad about people. I can't be who God wants me to be. And you can't either. Because it's only after all these things that I just read in the end of chapter 4 that we get right back to chapter 5, our text verse. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. They're going to play a song. They're going to sing. There's some things we need to put off. And there's some things we need to get rid of. Who wants to be an imitator of God? I will ask. Who wants to be an imitator of God? Who wants people to see you and say, man, what a Christian. Who's willing to do what it takes to be that person though? We're gonna go to a restaurant in a minute and fuss at the waitress. We'll be popping the kids before we get to the car. We need to put off some things. Take it off. Put it away. Lay aside. Get rid of it because they're hindering you and they're hindering me from being a follower of God that he called me to be. We need to let go of that lying and speak truth. We need to let go of that anger and quit giving the devil a seat at our table. We need to quit stealing and start giving. We need to quit talking people down and start building them up where God wants them to be. This world is not turned off to Jesus. I don't care what you hear. This world is not turned off to Jesus. It's turned off to our representation of who Jesus is. I got some things I need to put off. Maybe you do too. These guys are going to sing. This altar's open. Spread out. Get in your pew. Whatever you want to do. 
bow your head and close your eyes for just a few minutes. I hope this message has helped somebody today like it's helped me and will help me. Maybe you're here this morning though and you don't you don't have a clue what it's like to be loved by God. You've never accepted Him as your Savior. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Nothing to do. You don't get cleaned up and come to Him. You come to Him like you are. Let Him clean you up. From your heart to God, if you say a prayer just like this, God, I'm a sinner. God, I, I know that Jesus came to die on the cross for those sins of mine. God, I pray you'll forgive me for those sins. Help me, God, to live a life pleasing to you, God. Help me to turn from that, that way of life and live for you. If you prayed that prayer this morning, you're as much of a child of God as anybody else. If you've ran to him this morning, you're as much of a child of God as anybody else. Would you just slip your hand up and say, yeah, Jason, I prayed that today. I prayed that God would save me today in a mess that I'm in. God, you were good to us. God, we don't deserve it. God, through your word, you give us so many reasons, God, to love you, to trust you, to praise you. God, you give us so many ways that we can do that, God. And God, you're so compassionate. You're so uh, uh, forgiving of us, God. God, I pray for everybody in this room, uh, watching on live stream, wherever they are, God, that God, you'd help us to see that. God, help us to have a burden and a desire to be more like you every single day that we live. God, as soon as we go to make that mistake, let us recognize that we're acting like Satan and not you. God, will you be with us this week? Thank you for the answered prayers from this week. God, we pray for those that are still hurting, those who have buried loved ones this week. Uh, God, who are picking up the pieces, God, we pray for them. God, help us to trust you through this season of life. God, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.